you know, what we really need to address is our relationship with our own happiness and our own sense of self, because the fuller we are in here, the less we require from out there. And that definitely, definitely applies to fast fashion. Welcome to this week's episode of the Happy Pair Podcast, where Dave and Steve, and we are delighted to have you. This week, we get to interview our friend, Venetia Lamana. Uh, Venetia is a wonderful advocate and spokesperson for sustainable fashion. Uh, she's very much on the journey, as she says herself, and she's very much just helped educate us because it's some an area that we've been extremely ignorant to. I've wanted to know more, and this conversation has really, you know, opened us up, brought more awareness to it for ourselves. And for anyone listening who loves clothes, loves fashion, wants to be more conscientious, this was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, it really was. Venetia's a cool woman. We've been friends with her for a number of years. Uh, she's plant-based and very much into sustainability in all its very facets. So this was really enjoyable. I hope you enjoy it. Let us know in social what you think of it and enjoy the journey ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard we have someone who we've admired for years she's a wonderful woman and we are honored to have venetia lamana with us here today hello <laughs> thanks uh, for having me it's so great to see you both Likewise. Yeah. thank Very you thank much. you okay so so first thing um as we were saying, we're, as you know, we're two men, identical twin boys. Well, we're men now that we grew up in a family of all boys, went to all boys school. So fashion was never on our radar. It was purely functional. We only got dressed up because we had to or if we had a date. And nowadays we dress in very functional clothes and we only change them kind of when we need to really. Um, but fashion, I know, is something that you're so aware of and you're bringing light to in so many different ways. So I'd love you to kind of tell us more and educate us a bit about fast fashion, sustainable fashion, because I know you've gone deep down that rabbit hole. Oh, we're going straight in. Yes, I would love to. Okay, so um, I should probably start by saying that I was, uh, I kind of entered into thinking about sustainable fashion uh, through plant-based eating and conscious living and trying to kind of think more mindfully about my decisions when it came to all of my actions. And I was really inspired by the both of you to go vegan. Um, now I now call it plant-based um, about five yes. years yes. ago. Um, and I was actually uh, on YouTube sharing my life as a as, as a vegan at the time. And someone said, it's great that you're eating so many plants and you're advocating for this lifestyle, but you're wearing and supporting fast fashion brands. This isn't really connecting. So um, as someone who was a TV presenter and was always pretty obsessed with fashion and trends and definitely used fashion as a way to express myself um but also try and feel better about myself there's nothing like that kind of dopamine hit of buying something new when you're having a bad day um I hadn't really made the connection between my clothes and the impact that that had uh and my shopping habits had on not only the planet but also people so I went away I did I started my deep dive into learning about slow and sustainable fashion and yeah I've kind of not looked back since I feel very very passionate about it so in the same way that we look at food and we look at the food that's on our plates um we know that when we we know that every single part of the food on our plate has a chain of events that 
got it to our plates. We know that it was grown and it had lots of different processes that took it to landing on our plates and being consumed by us. It's the same for our clothes. So for example, those gorgeous t-shirts that you're wearing, they would have started, I'm assuming they're cotton, that's a crop, it would have started as a crop that then would have been picked and it also would have been processed and then it would have been turned into the t-shirt, cut, sewn, and then it would have been packaged and shipped. There are so many processes that it took for your t-shirts to get from the soil and then onto your bodies. So um, yeah, I've taken quite a deep dive into it and... Um, I mean, there's so much to unpack, um, but I think maybe the starting point is to really, and maybe a, a useful thing for your community and your audience. Because clothes, like clothes are even more, you, well, clothes were almost more detached from the process, like food at least, there's lots of food, no matter where you live, within 50 miles, there's, there's food grown, you can literally go pick an apple, even if you're in the heart of London, you could find, you know, during cherry season I remember picking cherries off a wild cherry tree in London versus food it's more clothes it's much further detached it's very e seldom even, e even you saying like the cotton was grown and like there's there's you know the way we even like we're conscious of growing and food but like clothes I just you forget that it's grown you know yeah I think we're very very detached from it especially now you know Back in the day, I think we would have all been much more confident sewers and seamstresses. Um, and, you know, we were all, I think, you know, definitely for my parents' generation and especially their parents' generation, you know, they had a lot fewer clothes. They looked after them really well. They were big into hand-me-downs as I was when I was a little girl growing up. Um, everything kind of changed in about, from about the kind of 19... 80s onwards when fast fashion came into play and um now we can buy a t-shirt for the same well for about the same price as we can a really really nutritious meal um and the awful thing about that is that if fast fashion uh when fast fashion is that cheap someone somewhere is paying and also the planet is paying uh for example it takes about i think it's when you make a pair of jeans, there are like hundreds and hundreds of liters of water that it takes for one pair of jeans. Jeans are made from cotton. Cotton is incredibly thirsty. So when we are thinking about sustainability and we're thinking about reducing our impact on the planet, we really, really need to be thinking about the clothes that we're wearing because they are incredibly intensive uh, to make. Wow. wow. And what are, what are some top line, like, because we're completely ignorant to this, like, you know, the way there's 7 billion people living on the planet. And do we, do we, like, are there 7 billion t-shirts produced every year and 7 billion pairs of jeans? Or like, is it, are, like, do we manufacture so much more than the needs of humanity and we're just consistently using them and then throwing them out? And it's the disposable nature of it that's a huge part of it. Absolutely, yeah. So there are 7 billion people on the planet, like you rightly say, yet we produce around 80 to 100 billion pieces of clothing every single year. So it's like completely out of whack and we are taking much more than we're giving back. And uh, it's actually the textile industry is supposed to be one of the top most polluting industries. It's, according to Forbes, it's the second most polluting industry. So um, it has a huge, huge environmental impact, as we know, but it also has a really, really imp big impact 
on the people who make our clothes. So when we we talk a lot these days about, um, you know, feminism and all being feminists and how important that is, but we also at the same time have big fast fashion brands with billionaire CEOs selling us marketing campaigns of how all women should be empowered, yet then frankly not paying their garment workers who are predominantly women, predominantly women of color, not fair living wages, um, which is so, so heartbreaking. And like you say, I think we are really removed from uh, our clothing production and what our clothes mean in a different way to I think we're much more, much more kind of closely connected to the food that we eat, but this is literally, this isn't happening, you know, hundreds of miles away in distant lands. This is also happening here in the UK, uh, in Leicester earlier in Leicester in about July, 2020, July, August, 2020, there was a huge slave labor scandal that was unearthed, um, in quite a few factories in Leicester, which is, you know, in the UK. Uh, and it turned out that the brands like Boohoo, which is one of the fastest and most successful uh, brands in the UK at the moment, they also own, and I don't want to get this wrong because I always do, uh, brands like Pretty Little Thing. And uh, they also own Karen Millen and Oasis and a couple of others. They It turns out that they were only paying their workers £3.50 an hour, which is way below the living wage. So it's happening here. Yet we are totally, totally removed from it. And I think that's because we kind of want to be, right? Like, I think it's easier for us to think about our food and the impact that has because it's the self. Like, we know that if we eat well, we'll probably feel really good, we'll have loads of energy and we'll look good, right? And when it comes to fashion, I think you probably say the, the same thing, but in the opposite. Like, if I buy loads of fast fashion, I am going to be really, really on trend and I can buy these clothes for a really treat price and I'll probably feel great and I'll look great. But it's, and it's really easy for me, you know, when I'm looking great and feeling great to not think about the people who made those clothes and also not to think about the environmental impact of those clothes. So we really kind of need a shift in thinking. And I should also say that as someone who has slowed their wardrobe and been kind of committed to this for quite a few years now, I personally feel better when I'm buying less. Yeah, I think that's a, a great, like such a good adage for our life that often less is more and it's a total cliche but it's something that we all struggle with and I think it is part of the problem of this would have started with the introduction of mass scale media when in traditional times we all lived in smaller towns there was a that there was a you know there was a butcher there was a baker there was a candlestick maker and there was a seamster or seamstress or there was some a tailor or a cobbler it was a lot more we were connected. We weren't as disposable in our income. We weren't kind of going, oh, I want to have that that jacket that I saw on someone on Instagram in LA. It's more like I saw someone three doors down from me that got a jacket that the tailor made. I'll go and ask that. It was very much smaller. It was more localized. And back two years ago, uh, my daughter May got um, a sewing machine from Santa. And we were real excited. It was like, okay, great, May, you're going to be, you're going to fix all our clothes. And, you know, for about six months, she was really excited about it. I used to give her two euros every time she'd fit a hole in my pockets or a hole in my thing or a button would come off my jeans and she fixed it. But she suddenly stopped doing that. And, she, you know, the allure of fast fashion is very much like the allure of 
modern day living that we're kind of trying to avoid the, these feelings of loneliness, of despair, of sadness through consumption. And that consumption can be the case of food, of purchasing fast fashion to feel more desirable. And it, it seems like it's a deeper. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know where, to, where I'm going with this. No, but actually, that was really, can, can I ask a question? Yeah, because that was more a statement and it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you, Steve. Dave. Uh, I was going to say, um, like, so what are the main, so obviously this cotton is a plant that's grown. Like the main fabrics that I know of, like I'm, we, we are completely unaware of this. Like I, I know polyester is made of plastic and polyester is the root of it is, you know, it's some derivative of plastic. What are the main kind of, the main, the worst kind of, crops out there in terms of the environmental impacts and what are the main ones that we know of like there's cotton's polyester there's nylon and after that I'm kind of I don't really know you know yeah I mean I'm no expert in yarns and fabrics but I think it's really important actually you've raised a really important point so there are more natural fabrics um, like cotton like linen which is fantastic um, and much better for the environment but when we talk about polyesters, um, anything with a poly in front of it is a polyester. Therefore, it's plastic. Therefore, it's actually fossil fuels. So when we talk, you know, we fossil we talk fossil fuels are in the news every single day at the moment. We know that we need to get rid of them and move to uh, greener energy. Plastics, polys in our clothing that comes from fossil fuels. So I think that's a really really important connection to make because maybe some of your listeners are conscious about the amount of plastic that they use in their own homes maybe they're you know using heat cups reusable water bottles doing all of these things it's the same for clothing um but I also want to say like it's really important like I still absolutely have I, my wardrobe isn't all you know cotton, organic cotton and hemp it is very much still it's still full of polyesters and if I fall in love with a piece of clothing for example in a secondhand shop and it's made from polyester um, as long as it's secondhand I know I can give it a really good life I'm not going to not buy it because it's made from polyester but the problem with polyesters, plastics, fossil fuels, is that they're going to outlive us all. So the reason why organic cotton and linens and fabrics that are natural and made from crops are better is because they are going to uh, eventually decompose. But before we kind of get too stuck on um, fabrics and yarns, because obviously there's a bigger and wider conversation to have here about privilege when it comes to sustainable fashion, because hell knows I've felt like I can't engage with many aspects of the so-called sustainable fashion movement because it's just frankly so expensive. The main thing to remember here is what clothes do you already have irrespective of what they're made from and how can you wear those more and give them a really wonderful life because the most sustainable clothes are the ones that you already own. Yeah, nice. Really like good. in terms of for... Um, excuse me, wanting to boil it down, but for someone like me or for anyone listening, what are simple things? Like I, I've seen on your Instagram, you talking about hiring clothes or renting clothes. And I think that's a wonderful possible solution. And I, I guess we've seen it through lots of different industries. You can now hire a car, you can, you know, it's less need for ownership. And is this part of the solution, the sense of swapping, sharing ownership? Yeah, it's really interesting that you've brought up rental actually, because I had a really interesting conversation with a British uh, writer called Pandora Sykes about that recently. I personally think rental is a really, really good substitute for people like me who love the feeling of something new and love to wear something new and exciting for, for example, a wedding or an event. That's where I think rental is really, really brilliant. She interestingly said that 
she worries that rental doesn't solve the issue that we have with wanting to stay up with trends and wanting to always have the latest thing. Um, and I recently spoke to a monk. I don't know if you know Galong Tupton, but he is just wonderful and uh, is probably one of the best best speakers I've come across when talking about meditation and mindfulness. And if I kind of think, I've always got him in my head and I think, you know, what we really need to address is our relationship with our own happiness and our own sense of self because the fuller we are in here, the less we require from out there. And that definitely, definitely applies to fast fashion. Like I have lived with anxiety my entire life and on and you know have suffered I have difficulties with my mental health as so many of us do and I know that when I'm having a low moment I am scouring some fashion website adding things to my wish list and and thinking to myself well maybe I'll be that model or I'll be that different person if I can only have this outfit now I know now that I'm not going to click purchase on that outfit but I am absolutely daydreaming about it so I think one of the things that we kind of need to focus on is like, do we need to address this mental health crisis that we're living in? Do we need to, how can we garner a greater sense of community, which is, I know, which I know is the thing that you guys are most passionate about. How can we garner a greater sense of community so we feel less alone? So we feel like we can have more by having less. You've hit the nail on the head. Like I really think at the root of it, it is ultimately you know, it, it derives from not feeling enough. In, in a sense, when I think of myself, so I kind of go, well, I want to buy something new because it might make me f- look better. And then if I look better, someone might think I'm better and they might, I might get more attention and more love and more whatever the heck I need. Yeah, is, is it possibly a starvation of spirit, a starvation of faith, a, a starvation of the depth of the human existence? And that's part of the reason for the premise or the, the growth of fast fashion, the growth of materialism is because we're feeling so empty inside that we're looking to purchase this fullness a, a, bit, a bit like as a, a doctor friend of ours says he says uh, are you and he refers to food are you eating to feed your stomach or are you eating to feed the empty hole in your soul or something like heart. that and I think maybe this is something exactly you hit the nail on the head that we're like in a society nowadays us included there's, there's much more anxiety the stresses there's tensions and you know a chocolate biscuit is great or an ice cream or gee sure I'll just buy a t-shirt it's only 15 euro or, or you know or whatnot. so I think think there is deeper seated issues you know which ultimately root back to one's relationship with oneself I totally agree yeah absolutely I mean that that is definitely one of my feelings about it but then I'm, I'm also conscious that like for a lot of people fashion is an amazing out, outlet for their creativity, but also for their gender identity and expression. So I'm thinking specifically about the kind of trans and non-binary community and how for maybe a lot of their lives in some cases, they felt like they aren't, their physical representation of themselves isn't who they feel on the inside and things like clothes and makeup and that kind of thing are really helpful in 
finding their sense of identity and expression. And I absolutely don't want to discredit that. And, you know, the same for me, like I have outfits in my wardrobe. I have pieces of clothing that literally take me back to the best times in my life. Um, you know, I have, there's, there's the dress that I was wearing when my uh, now husband proposed to me and that dress now holds the most special and dear place in my heart. So I think it's important for us to maybe make that distinction. Um, but I think the thing we kind of really need to grasp is the sheer volume of clothing that we're currently producing at a rate at which none of us you know we said at the beginning seven billion people in the year in the on the planet 80 to 100 billion pieces of clothing being sold per year we don't we no one has enough none of us are going to wear that many clothes we're just not going to be around on the earth long enough so i think it's uh i think the kind of i i well yeah i wanted to make that distinction because you know like for you guys you're all about functional clothing because like you know health and movement and functionality and mobility is actually such a big part of your identity so like the clothes that you both wear is all kind of fitting with that part of your identity whereas for me like my a big part of my identity is clothes and connecting back with the women who made my clothes so the times that I'm wearing I'm I'm literally wearing a black t-shirt today so I have not you know dressed in accordance with this but sometimes if I'm wearing clothes that have a story to them that is in a way also my expression of identity and I want to be able to talk to people about that item of clothing the story behind it and the person who made it if I can because mm. I because I don't think we're gonna like uh, and I I really agree with your point on this like clothing is very important for self expression and I kind of wonder I don't think we can start p- uh, picketing outside fancy clothes shops saying are you buying this to feed your empty soul or are you buying this because you need to like that's not gonna work <laughs> so so how are we gonna how do we kind of address this issue. Do we address it via personal, by individuals, or do we address it via brands? Or how do we go about kind of bringing more awareness yes, from a practical a, kind of day-to-day thing? And then obviously this, the kind of the ideal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really, really important question. Um, so I also want to kind of start with a little disclaimer. Um, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, can I swear on this podcast? Of course. Fucking hell, this Venetia chick, you know, bashing all of these brands and fast fashion. Who does she think she is? I love fast fashion. Like I can't get on board with her. Please know that I am not out to criticize any individuals. And I I have, I have used to buy fast fashion all of the time. I believe that like with all of these things, we're all on our own journey and I'm absolutely not out to criticize individuals unless they are billionaire CEOs exploiting uh, their workforces and um, you know that like I'm absolutely here to call out the billionaire CEOs but to any individuals who feel you know that they're just a consumer in this and that you know I'm I'm not here to call out individuals what I am here to do um, and what I am I think in a position to do is to first of all educate I have found myself with a platform and I am v- very I'm very keen to use it for a good and positive impact. So I mainly do that through 
education and then also through a sense of community so I have a hashtag called triple OTD which stands for uh, old outfit of the day which was a middle finger up to the um, original OOTD hashtag which is outfit of the day and this was kind of my retaliation against the newness that the original hashtag uh, inspires and then uh, last year I started a campaign called Remember Who Made Them with three other concerned feminists and a wonderful group of illustrators. You can follow us on Instagram at Remember Who Made Them. And we've also created so far a seven part podcast series, which is literally there to help educate, help inspire, but also speak to garment workers directly. So, so often in the sustainable fashion movement, uh, we aren't speaking to the people who matter most. And those people are the people who make our clothes. And often you'll hear fashion brands say, we're here to empower, we're here to empower our workers. I've spoken to lots of these workers and we've spoken to so many of them and their unions and their collectives during this campaign. These predominantly women are already empowered. They are already campaigning for their rights. They work in garment factories Uh, Monday to Friday, sometimes Monday to Saturday, but you can guarantee that every single evening they are organizing, they are asking their employers to do better. And same on weekends, they literally don't take a day off. So um, having had these conversations, I found out how I can try and do more. And what we were, were repeatedly told is how powerful social media is as a tool to disrupt the system. So Fashion brands spend millions and millions of pounds, euros every single year on their marketing, on their identity, on their celebrity and influencer partnerships. They care so much about their brands. They care so much about their image. And by simply calling them out on on social media, that has a really, really big impact and shouldn't be undermined. Currently, there is a really, really impactful uh campaign happening this week I don't know when this is going to go out but it will continue to happen it's a hashtag called pay her and there's another one called hashtag pay your workers and these are run by amazing campaigns called remake which is at remake our world on instagram and at clean clothes campaign and at labor behind the label and this is just a really good way to clog up the uh, comment section of these brands and make sure that they are held accountable for producing clothing that is so cheap, their garment workers are not able to meet their basic necessities. Just a little fact for you, uh, only 7% of the world's garment workers earn enough money to cover their basic needs. That's their rent, their healthcare and schooling for their children and food on their plate. So we can absolutely use social media as a way to educate, but also as a way to call out brands. And then when it comes to your individual action, I would just say celebrate the clothes that you already own and wherever possible, buy less. Wow, well said, Venetia. And, and, and I, exhale. I, I'd love to take it a little more... Um, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd I'd love to take it a little bit more on a personal level because how do one balance between being an advocate for these causes that are so important and so much need a voice and then a balance for addressing, managing to find a balance within yourself? Because I know myself when we first, um, just to use the, the example, when we first changed our diet and started eating a vegan diet and realized that it was part of a much greater political issue. It wasn't just 
that I felt better. It was like, wow, this actually has a good impact on the earth and it has an impact on the, you know, the global food system. Wow, this is cool. And I became so fired up and I was telling everyone you shouldn't be eating that. You shouldn't be eating this for, you know, for a number of years. And lots of people really found my company not that enjoyable. Uh, and, and over a period of time, I found I kind of softened and found kind of a comfortable spot for myself within this. How do you balance being an advocate and kind of being somewhat oppositionary to these large um, brands, which is hard to do? Like when you say it there, I'm like, how would I do that? I feel real like exposed. Like, how do you balance that on a personal level? It's a really good question. And I think it's actually something that I fail at regularly, whether I fail uh in private or in public you know i get really frustrated when i see influencers you know who are already earning a lot of money doing collaborations with brands that they know are unsustainable and unethical uh they're just choosing to ignore it you know i get really upset by that i get really upset when with so many things and sometimes i let that get the better of me like i've made a lot of mistake missed I've made a lot of mistakes on social media. I've definitely got too angry at times, like 100%. Uh, I think it's just a constant learning process. Um, but the thing I kind of really try to bear in mind is the more you as an individual act with kindness and compassion and joy when it comes to the things that you care about, whether that's eating plant-based, whether that's um, slow fashion, whether that's, you know, living consciously, whatever it is for you, the more you kind of exude joy in the way that you both do, it's infectious. Like when I first discovered you both on YouTube, I was like, I mean, this this food, I don't, I'm not really sure where I stand with this food yet, but oh my gosh, these guys are infectious. Like I want a bit of what they've got. And I think it's the same can be applied when it comes to fashion, which is why, and I get this question a lot from my community because I have a lot of particularly young women following me who feel that their friends aren't on the same page as them when it comes to advocating for slow fashion. And the thing I always come back to is just keep keep doing you and do it with joy and do it with kindness and do it with compassion. And then they'll think, oh, I want a bit of that. And they might come around to what you're doing. A, fr- a friend, Sean, he always says, he says, uh, you attract more wasps with honey than you do with vinegar. And I think that's a, I think that's a great metaphor for whatever advocacy or kind of campaigning one is doing, whether it's food or in fashion or any of these things, you know, so what you do, but, but you, you, just to bring it back to, so, so, if, so for anyone li- listening, so there's things which they can do is obviously reuse their old clothes. Reusing is really important. You can buy from charity shops. You can buy from secondhand shops. You can rent clothes. And then there's probably, if you do want to go buy new stuff, I'm sure there's brands which you can, how do you go find the brands if you wanted to buy new ones? And what are other solutions which people might do if they want to be empowered as an individual? Or be a little bit more conscientious in terms of their consumption of clothes. Yeah, I mean, you're already both so well-versed on this, which is amazing to see. So um, yeah, for me, you know, I am I'm still someone who absolutely love tr- loves trends and I, I I love fashion and I, I have for a really, really long time. So if I see a look that is trending and I really, really want it and I feel like I'm going to suit it and it's going to be in my wardrobe for a really long time, my first point of call is to try and find it secondhand. 
some really good secondhand websites because obviously charity shops are a little bit harder to navigate at the moment because of the lockdown. Um, our Depop, Vestia Collective, Vestiaire Collective. There's also one called Vinted. There are quite a lot of them. And then there is this kind of exploding rental movement, which is really, really amazing. Of course, there are charity shops, secondhand shops, vintage shops. I absolutely love vintage. If I I could, I would happily just buy vintage for the rest of my life, apart from when it comes to undercrackers and undergarments. Um, I'm not behind secondhand uh, and pre-loved gussets. Not for me, not something I'm going to invest in. Um, but fortunately, there are loads of ethical and sustainable brands doing some really, really brilliant work. I will, uh, when it comes to um, in fact, I'm just going to, I'll just tell you to, uh, the first one is Sancho's. This is a, uh, independent, um, online e-tailer. I actually think they have a store as well. And I think they're in Devon or Exeter, but I might be wrong about that. They are black owned and all of the brands that they have on their website are small, ethical, sustainable, and they have a really great selection up there. And there's another one, um, here in the UK called Know the Origin and they do a very, very similar thing. Great stock, great pieces. Um, but, you know, I think there's also... Do, do they cost a lot more? That's one thing which I found. I know a couple of times I've gone, okay, this winter I'm going to buy... The last jacket I have, I got for my 21st birthday from my mother. So, and my father actually. So that's, that's the jacket I have. And every winter for, I'd say, the last seven years I've gone, this year I'm going to buy a jacket. I'm definitely going to buy a new jacket. You spoke about buying a Patagonia one. I remember you. And like, I did. Like and I went and I looked on the websites. It's like 300 euro for a jacket. Nah, I think I'll just keep wearing the old one. So, so like, what are... What are uh, I can't remember my question here. My question was, oh yeah, the, like the cost of these kind of sustainable ones are they typically three times more expensive or four times or how do how do you, how do we make peace with that because it's not easy, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. I think price is definitely an issue. Um, sustainable and ethical brands are always more expensive. I haven't I haven't found a truly ethical brand that is as affordable as the brands that we're used to. And I think this, it's kind I mean, you know, I think like with so many areas of sustainability, privilege pays, plays such a huge role. You know, it's not only financial privilege, it's time, it's access. There's so much that comes into it. And as a person who holds privilege in many different ways, um, it's kind of why I'm very, very sure not to be, um, calling out individuals, you know, like we all have different layers of access when it comes to um, buying and shopping more sustainably. Unfortunately, it is more expensive um, and that sucks. I think something else though that is really important for us to bear in mind is that fast fashion has is actually not... And the clothes that we're used to as a result of the fast fashion world and system is actually not reflective of the true cost and value of those pieces. Um, like I've said previously in this podcast, like someone somewhere is paying for that. And that is because it's so cheap that people aren't getting paid fair living wages. You know, and they're taking really precious resources from the planet that are much more expensive than the price of the clothing. So unfortunately, fast fashion hasn't done the sustainable brand movement any favors. Um, 
But there are some, you know, like the website I mentioned, Sancho's did an amazing thing earlier this year where you could just pay what you could for some pieces, which I think is kind of remarkable and amazing. And a lot of other brands really do clear breakdowns of how certain pieces and why certain pieces cost certain cost the amount that they do so they'll say like this much this is how much we paid our workers this is how much and they kind of break it all down which i think is fantastic but i think if we start for example this coat that you keep saying you want to buy i know you and you know you and you know that that coat is without a doubt going to last you for at least i'm assuming like 10 20 years so like yeah 300 pounds is really not cheap and not very affordable but then if you break that down uh by cost per use like for example the laptop that i'm using right now was not cheap yet i use it all day every day so it's kind of made up for its price and i think if you were to buy i would personally advocate for buying one good coat that is going to last you a good time from a brand and you mentioned patagonia that will take it back and repair it free of charge for you then i would you know going to a brand like something like Uniqlo or something. Um, The reason why I mentioned Uniqlo is because they've done some shady stuff recently. I'm not just like hating on Uniqlo for no reason. Um, And buying a much more affordable coat that isn't necessarily going to last you long, last you as long and, you know, is definitely not ethical nor is it sustainable. Mm, Yeah, great answer. Hey, can I, I I have two questions kind of, I I don't know how I roll them into one, but they're both burning in the top of my mind. Um, First one, and I- I, Can I I, say one statement? It's not going to be a question, it's just one thing. And it's a tribute to, we had a friend, Yuri, and he used to always say, Yuri, Tomek, and Shawnee, and Mark Lorne, four friends, they all say, they say the same thing. I can't afford to not buy good quality because it won't last. Like, and that's their, and I think it's back to, they, they have those old kind of like, wise old oak tree type expressions of well like if I buy cheap I'm just going to have to buy it four times like why don't I just spend the 150 euros on a decent pair of boots and I'm going to have them for 15 years and I really think that's a great sorry that's my statement over to you okay Uh, two quick questions and the the second one's probably a lot longer first one how do we navigate through greenwashing because it's something that's become very apparent through brands like kind of making themselves look ethical look green they have one range that is sustainable and the rest is highly unsustainable How do people listening or even myself navigate that? And how would you suggest solutions? Yeah, this is a big one. Uh, Greenwashing is bloody confusing. It fools me half the time. Unfortunately, there isn't actually... Can you define what greenwashing is just for anyone listening? Venetia, sorry to interrupt. Can you define what greenwashing is? Because some people listening might know what it is. Yeah, in in very um, basic terms, it's when a brand pretends to be doing something good when actually it's doing something pretty shitty and isn't. And the thing that they're doing, it's basically, it's greenwashing is basically marketing a product as though it's doing something good for the planet when it's really not. It's basically when brands lie. It is uh, kind of, I think about, you know, Coca-Cola, selling shoving the fact that their bottles are made from recycled plastic down our throats you know that kind of thing it's the kind of thing where they're they they shout from the rooftops or shell you know like shell um fossil fuel company you know they they greenwash all the time so many brands do it and the reason why we see it so prolifically in fashion is because there's no legislation around it there's not enough 
there aren't enough laws to prevent it from happening. Um, and we, we're seeing it more and more because obviously we know that sustainability is trendy now. It's fashionable now. Um, and, you know, Gen Z really care. Millennials really care. I think everyone wants to do more for the planet. We're all really conscious of the climate breakdown now. We want to be, we want to feel like we're doing something good. So we see greenwashing all of the time um, in fast fashion, particularly. I'll, I'll take the example of um, H&M. For example, H&M have a conscious collection. Uh, however, that conscious collection is probably about one to two percent, maybe even less of their entire production. So although they have this collection that is used using slightly more responsibly sourced materials, it's still less than 2% of their entire output. And what's more, there is still currently no evidence whatsoever to suggest that H&M pay fair, fair living wages. So as a consumer, don't get me wrong, it's really, really confusing and it's really, really hard to figure out and know whether or not a brand is lying to us or not. Um, I think the kind of the general, my general kind of um, advice is that if it's a fast fashion brand who everyone will have heard of, like a household name, it's greenwashing because these brands are so big and so exploitative that even if they're using a bit of organic cotton, uh, they're not paying their workers fair living wages. So it's not sustainable. It's not ethical. It is absolutely greenwashing. And then I would also just really, really try to think about scale. So uh, if you're on a if you're on a fashion website, simply having a look at the view all tab to see how many pieces of clothing are on the website will help you figure out whether or not uh, they are greenwashing just based on the volume of product. And then another thing I would say is really be wary of language. Um, I've seen there's always weird little words that kind of seem to be suggesting something good, but are actually not good. Words like uh, zero, conscious, considered, holistic was the one that got my goat recently. Um, there's a lot of kind of fancy ethereal wording and a lot of kind of nonchalant ethereal models and a lot of these, these clothes will line my chakras. Exactly, exactly. This was made from unicorn tears. All of that stuff is absolute nonsense. <laughs> um, but just know that, you know, like... Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it, I was just going to say, is it kind of like, you know, when I'm looking at the high street brands, like as we said, I don't go to shopping centres. I don't really go down the high street very often. But I do know a number of names of some of them, like, like you know, your H&M's, your Uniqlo's. I don't even know beyond that because I don't know. I, I've heard of those ones and I see them in loads of cities. Like, are those the ones that are typically like the big, obviously big players have more scale and more leverage and they have more people's wages to pay. And I'm like completely assuming, making massive assumptions here. Are those the ones that are typically less sustainable and the more smaller conscious ones like this Santros? one you mentioned are they kind of ones if you were to spend money on new stuff they're the ones to kind of go towards uh, yeah. sorry my question was more about the big the big high street brands yeah it is actually it is you're, you're right in thinking that and that is true it is the big high street brands that we're familiar but i also don't want to let luxury fashion off the hook luxury fashion which is vastly, no one's getting away today no one's getting away today guys um luxury fashion <laughs> is by no means exempt um and often is just as unethical and also way more expensive. Um, so yeah, luxury fashion is absolutely not, not off the hook. The reason why this has happened, and if you listen to the Remember Who Made Them podcast, this will be explained 
much better than I'm going to. But fashion brands operate, and especially the big brands that we're familiar with, they operate in such a way that they, and this is all actually, it has roots in colonialism. They outsource their production in such a way that they have no means of tracking their supply chains and their factories and their garment workers. It's something called the race to the bottom, which we've done explainers of on our fashion campaign page, which is remember who made them. And it means that they can't take any responsibility in times when, for example, their factory workers are denied clean drinking water. They're able to say, well, we didn't know, so it's not our responsibility because they've contributed because they've uh, participated in this race to the bottom because there is no way of tracking their supply chains and who they use uh, and it also means that they can get away with charging unbelievably uh, inexcusably low wages uh, for their workers because they outsource to such an extent that there's no way of tracking it I don't know how well I've explained that I kind of got it I kind of no, got it but- that they're really they're, they're outsourcing they're outsourced like and as a business owner you kind of go like if I'm thinking from their point of view I'm kind of going that's probably a clever way as a business owner if you wanted to maximize you know money you'd kind of make it blurred that they can't track you to the to the bad stuff you know that they can't prove it you know so like I can understand it I thought that was well explained though I I got it and detachment in essence they're detaching themselves very good from from the good word Stephen Really good word. Exactly. They're just deta- detaching themselves from all responsibility. And I think it's also, you know, it's really easy. You, I, I, I find search engines a really helpful tool with this. You know, you can just, you can Google a brand's profits. You can Google, I'm actually not going to say Google because, you know, big tech will go, let, you can ecosia, ah. you can ecosia um, a, a brand's profits. You can ecosia their uh, CEO. You can duck, duck, go. Is that the other one of search engine but your search engines are really helpful in figuring out uh how much profit a brand makes how much uh their ceo makes and how little the people at the bottom of the supply chain i think in my opinion and in everyone else in this movement's opinion the most important people the discrepancy in the wage gap between the garment workers and the ceos um i'm going to shout out some some people in this space who do incredible work in in this area um if you'd like to learn more clean clothes campaign labor behind the label remake uh worker rights Consor- consortium and uh war on want these are all amazing folks communities charities organizations who do brilliant campaigning in this space and have loads of information on their pages Brilliant. Uh, another one, one kind of final personal question, which I'd love to ask is how do you... I've got one as well. Okay, okay. So we have one <laughs> final one statement. Can we say them both and you can no, mix no, them No, no, I'm going to go with mine and then you can have a well, go. Well, can you say yours and I can mix okay. mine into it? So how do you balance the, 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 the road or the journey between ideal and practical and that sense of being an advocate for a cause and also remembering you're an individual that wants to live a happy life and you know it's 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 such I, I know myself for wanting to be I'm a total idealist and it's a stick I often beat myself up but but at the same time I'm a flawed human that's trying to do their best so how do you balance being an advocate and also being a human and I was going to go back on to like we're kind of berating the fashion industry here today and I'm kind of standing here as a business owner that has a food business and I'm kind of going like 
we're guilty of like we're doing our absolute best but it's a systemic issue within capitalism because you've got to kind of cut corners in order to pay people to pay all the various things and balance it's a constant balancing act so all that i can say that like we're like as a business owner i'm kind of going there's lots of stuff that we do probably not not to the same extent that they do but i'm kind of going like comp we use compostable packaging and it's not a completely black and white solution and there's you know our energy is renewable but it's probably you know there's so many different things that we're limited by what we can do so it's uh, that was my comment. that was your comment it was just on a systemic issue that fashion industry it sounds like and ultimately it comes back to you know we need less so sorry Stephen's question was mine was more a random rant a good rant though thanks um no I loved that and I think you've raised you know a really important point is there is there so such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism question of the day um and, and I'm definitely not the first person to raise that um I think I have wasted a lot of time over the past five years agonizing about individual actions you know there was a time where I was trying to be super plastic free yet flying quite a lot because at the time I was in a long distance relationship and I think I think, frankly, guilt tripping ourselves is a waste of time. I think we should absolutely do the best we can. But I think it's perhaps of more importance to think about collective action and collectively being active citizens than I do it more than I do being. I think it's more important for us to be collectively active citizens than I do being conscious consumers. The the kind of heartbreaking, horrendous thing about what happened last year when the pandemic hit was that I'd been an ethical consumer for quite a few years. So many people have been ethical consumers for quite a few years, yet the pandemic left so many garment workers not being paid for work that they had completed prior to the pandemic. This is, like you rightly raised, a systemic issue. And we are all perpetrators of the problems and within all of these systems that we're in. And like I said at the beginning, and like how so many people say, is there any ethical consumption under capitalism? It's really, really complex. Um, the thing that I have found kind of most freeing, because like I say, I've wasted a lot of time panicking over individual action, is trying to be more engaged in collective action and movements and political movements and yeah, the collective. I think individual action is really important for, in my case, mental health, uh, feeling like I have a sense of purpose, feeling like my actions do make a difference. And I don't want to discredit that. I do think they do, especially when we're all doing them, when we're all thinking more consciously, it absolutely has an impact. But thinking more widely about how I can be part of a collective action, I have found really really hopeful and really freeing and really liberating as well so i think like you like you said it's that fine balance is is there a collective action is there kind of groups that like so say if someone's really passionate about this and like what are examples of collective action movements yeah so i think you know like i've I, like i mentioned earlier i do think um 
I do think social media is a really powerful tool and we've been told directly from garment workers that it's a really powerful tool. I think it's really important to hold brands to account and we can do that via social media. We can do that by writing to them directly. It's the same when we kind of, if we think, you know, and with politics, you know, like I think just to use the kind of a really, uh, a a kind of slightly off topic example, but AOC's grassroots movement was really, really powerful. And we're seeing this, like we're seeing this time and time again at the moment, like grassroots organizations building and growing and making exceptional change. And uh, social media has proved really powerful for that. The the actions and uh, movements I would really, really advocate for at the moment everyone getting behind is the hashtag pay her uh, movement by remake and also also hashtag pay your workers um like i said these brands care so much about their image and we have the power to get this word out there to educate people and to stand in solidarity with garment workers brilliant well one final thing that comes up in my mind say shawnee here who's producing or who's recording the podcast today his girlfriend ruth they have a secondhand clothes store called finders keepers, finders keepers. and a solution like say the food industry a huge amount of solution is bringing things back to a local level like where hopefully this year we're going to have a farm where we're growing our own local organic veg where we're educating people where we're kind of really trying to get this grassroots movement and a solution that possibly comes to my head is Maybe Ruth and Shawnee, we could set one up in Greystones and we could have a seamstress or seamster beside it and a tailor. And we're all kind of getting into like this kind of appreciating each or garment of clothing or growing, growing cotton or fabric. Or I don't know. Something. I'm a total idealist and dreamer. And does this sound like a ridiculous dream? Or does and then this sound... do, we, do we go to work on unicorns? Of course we do, David. <laughs> no, I don't think this sounds ridiculous at all. You know, I think um, I, I've been like so encouraged by... Uh, the community that I have on social media and the communities that I'm part of on social media and, you know, watching people and individuals come together, you know, in various parts of the world, you know, I have people, I had people starting WhatsApp groups and people in America and Canada and all of these places uh, making friends and going secondhand shopping together. And then there are so many, when we're not in a lockdown, there are things like swap shops, which are just so cool. You know, friends getting together, um, putting on swap shops where we can all swap clothes with each other for free, feel like we have something new, but not investing in something new. Like, I think it all comes back to community. And I think, I think it's a really, because of the community aspect of this, you know, I've made friends, genuine friends, and I have kind of people I really, really look up to in this industry. And I've learned also about the kind of wider, like you raised earlier, systemic issues um, that are kind of inherent in fashion and and basically what fashion is actually built on um oppressive and exploitative systems like I've learned so much and I've gained so much from that learning and that's all thanks to community so I don't think that is a a silly a silly thing to suggest I mean it's kind of it's yeah it's all it's all community and it's all coming together and it's all kind of learning together as well I don't think that's a silly suggestion I mean maybe the unicorns are a little bit far out but (laughs) but just to build on that Stephen's utopian you know sustainable world like are there fabrics are there people that are growing fabrics in the UK and Ireland in the northern hemisphere that are then turning them into clothes like is it a viable solution or 
you know, because I, I don't know of many people that grow wool. Yeah, a wool from sheep. Yeah, maybe that's and then knit that into. I, I, I don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sure. I, to be honest, I don't know, but I'm, I'm imagining that there's lots of wool and because uh, linen, I think, is hemp, so that kind of production in the UK. So I don't think that's crazy to think at all. And I think we're, prob- we're probably in a position to be very self-sufficient when it comes to clothing ma- manufacturing in the UK. Um, and there are lots of brands out there already who are doing this. So yeah, I think. I mean, I think we can be we could be more self-sufficient for sure. I don't think it's a far out dream. I remember reading years ago that uh, they used to use nettle, the fiber in the center stem of nettle, to make clothes before. I don't know who they is now, but, but fair play to them. <laughs> That'd be nice and comfortable. Yeah, I'd say it would. Lovely stingy, undergarments. Stingy, I'm, yeah. I'm imagining uh, you guys Vinici. make nettle soup and that kind of thing. I do, I'm surprised I that, that you're yeah, being yeah. so disc- discriminatory no, used, against nettles. Oh, I'm not. I just, uh, the basic thing of having a nettle farm and then kind of destemming nettles, like that was part of your job. Maybe people, you know, I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, but Venetia, you're brilliant. I really appreciate you shining light on a whole sector of society that we have both been so ignorant to. Uh, are there any projects that you're running at the moment that you'd like to mention or shout out or anything? Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for giving me this space and your time and being so generous and kind as always. And yes, I would absolutely love to recommend the fashion campaign that I co-founded with my friends Swati, Davy, and Ruby. It's at Remember Who Made Them on Instagram and you can also find our podcast. This is an entirely free resource and all of the money that we raise via our Patreon goes direct to garment workers. And then I would also love to shout out my new podcast, All the Small Things. Uh, This is an interview series where I interview lots of different inspiring folks about their relationship with routine, small habits, chaos, and just hear more about their lives more generally so yeah thank you so much guys for giving me this space it's been so wonderful to connect with you again oh likewise your podcast sounds real fun that's a nice um all the focus because we've even been saying that that uh now like we've been in lockdown for quite a while here and we were saying that like it's kind of it is a bit like being in detention but you have to find joy in the simple little things and walking down the road going oh it's not raining today woohoo that wind that cold wind feels delicious you know you kind of have to kind of put a spin on things and really try to find the beauty amongst them you know the 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 routine as you're saying yeah yeah finding joy in the mundane is definitely is so important so important yeah well thanks melvanisha you're brilliant Hope you enjoyed that podcast. I found that incredibly inspiring and just bringing more consciousness and awareness in my head towards the importance of the clothes we wear. Next week, we've got a super important episode with you. It was really, really fun. It's with Eamon and Bex. They're two YouTubers that have millions of views in their videos. They live in a van. They've traveled around the world. Obviously, they've been locked down the last year in Canada in a cabin. We went into the reality of what it's like being a YouTuber, the reality of being uh, making your living with your partner and sharing a very small space We talked space about together. creativity. It was a wonderful con- uh, uh, conversation. Uh, check it out next week. Thanks a million for listening, for lending us your ears. Hope you found it super inspiring and wishing you a great week ahead. Cheers. Cheers.